coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. Happy Friday to you. Gorgeous day. It really turned out to be a gorgeous day. I didn't think it was going to get this warm, but uh, it turned out to be a pretty gorgeous day. Um, what is the weekend weather looking like? I got softball plans and some work stuff. Okay, tomorrow. Okay. I mean, it's only supposed to be 64 for a high today. I feel like it's like closer to 70. It feels nicer. Um, so, rain on Sunday and then... Okay, so it's a little... We had that fake spring. That's what... We, we just got out of the fake spring. That's what it was. Because it looks like most of the next week it'll be in the mid-50s before peaking again around 65 on Thursday. I am so ready for that 70 to 80 degree week that we get, isn't it? It's like a week. We get a week of spring weather before it just gets stifling hot. Anyway, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, a few things, of course, to cover. Our guest today will be Eric Tusink of the uh, Williams Tusink firm. He is a real estate attorney. He's also a political consultant. He is a uh, court mediator. UGA man, and he knows a lot about the Atlanta Police Training Facility saga. He is somewhat of a historian on all that. So we'll talk with him uh, to get, I think, sort of an abridged version of the storyline and where we are today. He is someone that I follow on Twitter and have been trying to connect with for a while, and we finally got a chance to do that. So uh, we'll have him on the second half of the show. Very informative conversation. Really looking forward to that. For those who are wondering, by the way, William Shatner last night was amazing. And actually sort of awe-inspiring in that the dude is going to be 92 years old in 12 days. 92, y'all. And first of all, we watched the movie, The Wrath of Khan. They filmed it last night. Uh, the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra presented uh, the movie and then a Q&A with Mara Davis and uh, William Shatner. What I thought I was buying tickets to was the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra performing with the movie. Oh, I mean, that would have been amazing, right? Can you imagine that? Listening to a John Horner score performed with the movie playing in the background. I thought that's what I was buying tickets to. It turns out I walked in, we sat down, my buddy Ash and I went, and we sat down and we're like, there, there, there are no seats for the symphony to sit on the stage. It's just an empty stage except for two chairs and a table. And that's when I realized, damn it, this isn't a symphony performance. This is just, we're going to watch the movie and then William Shatner is going to talk. And you know what? I'm not at all disappointed. First of all, the movie... Yeah, it's dated. Early 80s, the, the, the technology, the, the, the computer readouts and all that stuff, very dated looking, very Apple IIe-like. So there's that. But otherwise, the storyline holds up okay. I mean, I could sit here and poke holes in the plot line like, ah, I'm not going to do that. It'll be Star Trek geekiness, um, and I can just hear the tune out. I can feel it, sense it. Um, but then, after the movie, William Shatner comes strutting out. And remind you, he is going to be 92 years old in 12 days. He had on, I think he had on some 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 Converse's maybe. Those were just like street shoes, man. He came out in street shoes and, uh, you know, very casually dressed. 92 years old. 
Uh, and by the time the movie's over, it's like 9.30-ish, 9.45-ish. We were there till 11.30. That's how long this guy went on. <clears throat> Mara maybe asked four questions, four to six questions tops. And <laughs> so many times I would go to my friend Ash and say, I don't remember what the question was. Because Shatner would start out with, okay, simple question. Uh, who was your favorite actor to work with on Trek? And he would, uh, well, he took a swipe at uh, George Takei to start with. You know, it's, there's a pretty famous dislike of each other. Um, but then he would talk about how much he loved Leonard Nimoy. And then he would tell two DeForest Kelly uh, anecdotes, funny stories about how DeForest, being from the South and uh, was kind of temperamental and didn't talk to him for three days because of a misunderstanding and then didn't talk to him for three weeks because uh, William Shatner considered his dog to be a little too frou-frou and <clears throat> just funny stuff. This guy went on for like an hour and a half or so. It was incredible. And I forgot that the man was about to be 92 years old. I mean, he was spry and sharp, uh, remembered a lot of names, forgot some names, not going to lie, forgot some names. And uh, so, you know, there was... Of course, the place was packed, 1,400 Star Trek fans who remembered who the uh, head of Paramount was that greenlit the Wrath of Khan. I kind of told you that. <clears throat> I mean, I could have Googled it like anybody else did, but uh, just a fantastic night. A lot of fun. Really enjoyed that. He also uh, shared his experience of uh, going into space and coming back and just realizing the fragility of living on this planet, this one planet with any existence of life on it at all it was very uh, uh, emotional to hear him talk about that. And, and by the way, I think that was the last question he got. I was also super tired by that time, but uh, it was just an amazing night. Had a great time for those who were wondering. Fantastic night. If uh, William Shatner is going to be coming to your neck of the woods and he is doing a string of these, uh, then please take advantage and see this. Again, 92 years old in 12 days. Dude was a firecracker. Okay, diving back into current events, there was a gathering this morning, Atlanta faith leaders, to say that they aren't against the Atlanta Police Training Center, but really want to see a lot more community involvement. Uh, Shannon Jones, president of the Concerned Black Clergy of Metropolitan Atlanta, says we're not anti-police. When What we want in this Justice Center is we want it to be a bridge, a bridge that will be built and constructed in a way that we can have some community oversight in what happens. We're concerned about the curriculum and the culture of training that will come out of it, not that it needs to be, but that we need to be connected to what's going on in that center. And then there were several others who spoke to a crowd uh, outside Atlanta City Hall. So the, the, the sort of evisceration, the peeling back of this narrative that all the folks who are concerned about the Atlanta Police Training uh, Center to be built in Southwest DeKalb are from outside Atlanta. Also, it's interesting now that we're starting to hear from uh, an outspoken Atlanta city council person when it's been really hard to get anyone to speak from an elected position in opposition to this uh, uh, cop city development. Her name is Liliana Liliana Bakhtaria, and I want you to listen to what she had to say earlier this week. Property damage to me is not violence. It's not a human life. I don't know how we can talk about damaging windows 
and the same breath is talking about Tort getting shot killed and shot over 13 times. What I am worried about is the loss of trust with the public. What I am worried about is the fact that the public feels so helpless that they're being driven to this. We've heard time and time again, we talk about being the birthplace of the civil rights movement. Well, civil rights leaders all have said that when the public, that riots and protests are the, voice, are the voices of the unheard. People feel driven to this point and we have to take it. We, we also have to look at ourselves and take responsibility for that. We are very complicit in the property damage that has taken place. The things that we're calling, the things that the city is calling violent, we push for those things to happen by not listening to the public. And so to sit here and point fingers and not take any responsibility or any of the blame is a failure in leadership. We shouldn't even be out there. This is, a, what APD has no legal jurisdiction on this land. We should not be out there sending what's estimated $40,000 a day per officer, like to send off to, for these patrols. We, one, should not even be there. Um, this land has a jurisdiction of the cab in the state. Uh, but that being said, the escalation is troubling. It scares the ever-living crap out of me because I was terrified when the first arrests happened in the forest um, right before Christmas. And I said to my colleagues, if we do not come together now and get the administration up to the table, someone's gonna die. And that is what happened. And my worst fears came true because somebody whose death was completely preventable um, ended up happening. And my fear is with the continued escalation that that number of people that will become, that will be injured and or killed will only grow. And that terrifies me because our responsibility should be to like first protecting civilians. I don't like whether or not they're from here. It doesn't matter. A human life is a human life. So what's more important, winning the argument or protecting our protecting protecting people? Which is why we need to take a beat and come back to the table and have a lot of questions and figure out how we're gonna move forward and why in God's name are we carrying the water for APF? It makes no sense to me. And the fact that there as I as an elected official cannot get certain questions answered and have tried now for months, which is why you haven't heard me say anything, because I was trying really hard wow. to get more buy-in, to get more answers, and that has not happened. So, I still have questions about <laughs> the lease, when that will actually be used, how it will be used, uh, the general setup. If I hear one more damn time, it's not really a forest, I'm going to rip my hair out. The questions I have is around... <laughs> The kind of the niche pieces around hot softwood versus hardwood, how the trees are going to be planted, how wildlife is going to be protected, how are they going to not further pollute one of the most one of the most endangered water basins in the country? Um, how are they going to mitigate the cost of cost of water for the surrounding black and brown populations? The CSAC board makes no sense to me. There's there are people on there that are calling for there to be a halt, and that's not happening. That's the reason that they're supposed to be there. Uh, some, in my opinion, have a conflict of interest because they're related to officers. Oh, wow. APF has a vote on that committee. They absolutely should not have a vote on their own project. Um, these are the questions I've sought answers to, understanding what type of explosive would be used, how they're going to atone for the fact that we're building or proposing building a facility on a graveyard of people that died at the prison farms because of brutal conditions by police. Mm. How are we going to protect the Chattahoochee Brick Factory and not the place where the bodies were sourced from? Um, how are you, how, like, just all of it. What is, like, are there gonna be any restrictions on the 43% of people coming here? Are we gonna make sure that none of them have a training facility, like a training program similar to Gilly at Georgia State? Are we gonna make sure not working with people who do IQ capping? Are we gonna make sure that we're not working with agencies that are still practicing the same techniques that got George Floyd killed? There are so many questions that have not been answered. And also 90 million, where did this arbitrary number come from? 
And also, isn't it more than that now? How much of this I recover? And there's just so many things that have not been answered. And closing our eyes and hoping it goes away is not, it's not a tactic. So, oh, Chief is in here. Maybe I can go ask him some questions. Do y'all mind? That's Atlanta City Councilwoman uh, Liliana Bakhtari just two days ago. She's not getting answers, and she's on city council. That's pretty stunning. That's a, that's a pretty stunning development. So, uh, anyway, we've got other stuff we're going to cover next segment. Uh, all these name changes, uh, area, base changes, uh, a dam, Buford Dam, maybe Lake Lanier, uh, looking at some name changes. Of course, this all goes back to the Civil War and the Confederacy. But, uh, again, on the back half of the show, Eric Tusink, who is not only a, a local real estate attorney, but also a law professor at Georgia State University, uh, former member of the South River Watershed Alliance. He is pretty much a historian on all things Cop City or Atlanta Police Training Facility. We'll have him on the back half of the show to help you get caught up to speed, maybe get an abridged version of everything that's going on. And I think after you hear him talk, you'll be pretty much caught up. Back half of the Ron Show today on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. More Ron Show on America One Radio next. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is the Ron Show on America One Radio. So there's a, a lot of movements in uh, renaming um, inanimate objects or pieces of property that have names linking them to Confederate soldiers, generals, leaders, politicians. Now, in the summer of 2020, there was a big push here, and Donald Trump, while president back then, threatened to veto any measure to um, rename uh, military bases. I think there were 10 of them all told here in Georgia, Fort Benning outside Columbus and Fort Gordon just outside Augusta, Georgia, both bear the names of former Confederate generals. Uh, Fort Benning was uh, named after Henry Benning, who was a Confederate general, uh, later became an associate justice of the Georgia Supreme Court, also a secessionist before the war, warning that if slavery were abolished, there would be, quote, black governors, black legislatures, black juries, black everything. Sounds like a fantastic guy. Uh, Outside Augusta, Georgia, Fort Gordon, named after John Gordon, who was... uh, one who commanded half of Robert E. Lee's army. He was also wounded five times at the Battle of Antietam, went on to represent Georgia in the U.S. Senate before serving as uh, Georgia governor. He also owned slaves, fought Reconstruction, and was generally recognized as the head of the Ku Klux Klan in the state of Georgia. And we have a military base bearing his name. My uncle and my grandfather both served uh, at Fort Gordon. My aunt, my grandmother, both worked on that base. Uh, I'm I'm 49. I'm today years old when I'm learning <laughs> who Fort Gordon is named after. I should know better. My God. Disgusting. Fort Gordon, by the way, will be renamed Fort Eisenhower after uh, Army General uh, Dwight David Eisenhower, who later, of course, became President of the United States. And the Army Medical Center on that base is already named after him. Fort Benning, Georgia, will be renamed Fort Moore after Lieutenant General Hal and Julia Moore. Just FYI. I bring all this up because now there's a push to rename Lake Lanier and Buford Dam. How about I didn't even know that the Buford Dam was named after somebody and not because it was, I don't know, near Buford, Georgia. Again, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer sometimes. I apologize. 
Uh, let's see. We have this from the AJC. Lake Lanier, the reservoir that has become an epicenter for tourism and recreation. And, of course, jokes about people dying. Uh, outside of Metro Atlanta is so enshrined in the local economy that dozens of businesses and even schools now bear the Lanier name also. It was also featured in an episode of Will Trent, by the way. I don't know if you saw that. The article goes on to point out that the lake is named after Sidney Lanier. I knew that, but I didn't know much about him. Uh, Sydney fought for the Confederacy during the Civil War. And, by the way, the Buford Dam, I was right, is named for the city where the facility was built. <laughs> Gold star by my name. However, the city is named after Algernon Buford, best known as the president of the Richmond and Danville Railroad, but also served six months in the Confederate Army. Insult to injury, by the way. Uh, there was an 11 Live story about this uh, about a year or so ago. In fact, I just looked it up. I found it. Uh, about Oscarville, which was an old black town that had been attacked by a racist mob and uh, is now at the bottom of Lake Lanier. So a little insult to injury there when it comes to the history and uh, affixing a Confederate soldier's name to Lake Lanier that now sits over that former black town at the bottom of the lake. Now, I doubt it's going to surprise you that uh, Republican Congressman Andrew Clyde, who represents that area, is against this, nor are most civic leaders and business folks uh, of course, the, 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 the first thing that comes to mind is, oh, it's going to be so expensive for people to change their business names and for streets and towns and all, this, all these, you know, tourist venues that have their names affixed to them. It's too expensive. But the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is actually looking into this nonetheless. Uh, Clyde Morris is the vice president of the Lake Lanier Association, which is a nonprofit focused on preserving the lake. And uh, he was among those who have spoke out against name change and uh, spoke to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and said, I don't want you to think that we're being insensitive to the awakening, if you will, of people's sensitivities to these things. We're not. But there comes a point at which we're reaching too far. That's always, why is that always, what is the too far? What do you mean by too far? And neither Sidney Lanier's poem, beautiful poem about the Chattahoochee, nor the fact that a dam was named after the nearest town, should be offensive to anybody. Goes on to say, think about all the schools, streets, businesses, subdivisions, countless things and organizations that have adopted the name Lanier since the 1950s when the name was first settled on. You're talking 65 years. To which I would say, hi. Conservatives love a good old tax cut, right? What if we just offered uh, a tax deferment of some sort, some sort of a district around the Buford Dam. How many businesses have the Buford Dam name to them? Uh, <laughs> or uh, maybe even the town itself. I don't think Buford's going to change their name, but eh, maybe they should. Uh, and then any businesses or subdivision. Do, do we really care if a subdivision changes their name? Leave that up to them, uh, the, the residents. But I don't know. Offer a, offer a tax break. Everybody loves a good tax break to help ease that financial burden of name changes or address labels or whatever, sign changes, et cetera, and so on. I mean, that's one way to assuage that concern. Oh, it's going to be so expensive. Okay, cool. Here's a tax break. Get it done. And then we can watch them squirm because they're against change for change's sake, maybe, or, or maybe they just like, nah, couldn't be it. Listen, I get 
the how far do we go back in history? Uh, there are lots of things named after George Washington. He's on currency. He owned slaves. Uh, he wasn't exactly crazy about slavery, but and you know during the early years of uh, the United States was among those from northern colonies and states who were looking to the south and going, we should deal with this. And of course, southern states were like, well, we're not ratifying that that constitution unless we get to keep it. I get that. So how far back do you go? I don't know. But I, I would think that we should all at least settle on the idea that uh, anyone who was traitorous to our country, the United States of America, shouldn't have their name adorned on anything that is maintained and or funded by taxpayer dollars. That To me, that's a no-brainer. And by the way, I'm looking at you, Ben Hill County and Jefferson Davis County. Really? It's 2023. There's got to be something else you can name those two counties after by now. Which one wants to name itself after Jimmy Carter once he passes? There's an idea right then and there. Just my thoughts. All right, we're back in just a minute. Eric Tusing joins us to talk all things Cop City, the second half of the show on The Ron Show. Stand by. More Ron Show on America One Radio after this. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. And my guest today, I've been trying to get this guy on for a while, and he finally saw me on Twitter, and we finally connected. Uh, I want to thank uh, Eric Tusink for joining us from the law firm of Williams Tusink. And I, I know this isn't necessarily uh, you know, diving into real estate law, but you, like me, are someone who has been paying attention to the Cop City thing. I think probably longer than me, honestly, because I got on this story way late after the midterms, and I kind of think local media is only now starting to do the same thing, but they're coming at it from a position of bias. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I haven't seen, at least out of the mainstream kind of publications, television stations, radio stations, whatever, here in Atlanta, uh, a lot of kind of unbalanced coverage. You see a lot of boosterism. You see a lot of toe in the company line when it comes to our elected officials. I, I mean, I guess one exception to that would be uh, Tyler Estep, who I think is a pretty damn good reporter at the AJC, but I think he's also been kind of pulled off this beat now. And so I'm interested to see where the coverage goes from there. But yeah, I've been on this story. This story goes back a long ways mm -hmm. and it goes back even before the, and I say police training facility instead of cop city. And the only reason is that I think I'm trying to get the message out to kind of more moderate folks, more normies yeah. out there. And so I think, I mean, cop city works well, and, and but I think it has a little bit of tinge of pejorativeness in there. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if pejorativeness is a word and, and maybe it should, but, uh, what I'm kind of trying to do is 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 get that message out to friends, neighbors, people who aren't terminally online like myself uh, about what's problematic about this project. But yeah, this goes back. This goes back three, four, five years um, to a whole nother issue, kind of the what, what was called the land swap in DeKalb County right. to stop the swap, um, where DeKalb County swapped a bunch of parkland, which I think. Some of that being where they had that the, the music festival this weekend um, to a, a film developer, more land that was supposed to be preserved uh, as kind of wildland trails, green space, etc. Um, and so this the sellout down in this you know the South River Forest has been on for a while, and this is just the latest iteration of it. 
And I think this has gotten more play, obviously, because of the intersectionality of so many issues mm. um, in that you have the wider police reform movement, um, which I support, but I'd probably be considered more of a moderate on that. Um, and then also you've got the, the environmental piece to it as well. Yeah, you're right. There is an intersectionality that I, I often wonder if it sort of divides the attention to, if it sort of distracts and dilutes the attention that the, this debate needs as well. The, the funny thing to me is that we're, we're looking at a city that is a, a heavily democratic city, a city that is majority minority and is represented that way in city council and in the mayor's office. And and yet, there there's this uh, almost right wing like idolatry to this project that makes you think of the whole back the blue movement from the right, which makes this all the more curious to me. Yeah, I mean, a couple things there on that is that you know Atlanta actually I don't think is technically at this point uh, a majority minority city. I don't think there is one majority group in the latest census numbers. It's yeah, very much right. a city that's been changing. Um, and then of course Atlanta, um, while a democratic city, um, hasn't always necessarily been a progressive city, at least last, you know, these last 20 or 30 years. I mean, what people talk about is kind of the Atlanta way mm. and the Atlanta way is where kind of distilled down to its essence is this idea of a largely black political leadership class, um, working with a white predominantly white. And obviously this has all kind of changed in the last 20 years as the city's become more, diverse i guess but also less black in that you know you've got the 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 black political class and the and the white business class so to speak working together to advance each other's interests um and in kind of all wrapped up in this um uh this culture of boosterism i mean Mm. people in atlanta love to promote atlanta and so while atlanta is very much a democratic city um it, it has different neighborhoods in different areas with, with different values. And so while democratic, not always necessarily progressive, but I think increasingly progressive, um, of late. And I guess we see some of those fractures or some of those differences in the Buckhead city movement. Uh, but also now we're starting to see some harmonious activity between the mayor's office and the governor uh, himself. Whereas with Keisha Lance bottoms, there was a lot of butting of heads, but at the end of the day, this cop city, or I'm sorry, the Atlanta Police Training uh, Center project. Oh, you can call it cop city, no yeah, problem. No, no, like, I, no, you're right. No, I, 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 I acquiesce to your point there. Uh, but this goes back to Keisha Lance Bottoms' mayoral tenure. It's also complicated. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's complicated. So, uh, I mean, I think there is the idea, right, uh, that. Um, Atlanta does better when, at least from a business perspective, you know, this idea that Atlanta does better when, if not friendly, the relationship between the mayor and the governor is not antagonistic, Mm -hmm. right? In that, I mean, frequently you get a lot of bad ideas um, flowing out of the Georgia legislature that we really need often need with the with the democratic minority in both the state house and state senate you need 
you would hope that maybe the governor can beat some of that back, which I think we saw a little bit with the Buckhead City movement. You see, you know, state airport takeover bills go into there. And so, I mean, obviously the mayor is in a, a tough position in that he doesn't want to have this. He he doesn't want to be seen as too close to a right wing Republican governor. At the same time, he doesn't want to have an antagonistic relationship with him because it benefits the city and it benefits all of us if if the governor and the state legislature will just kind of leave us alone to do our thing here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, and so the governor also kind of, you know, has put our city council and the mayor in a tough spot in that he's got nothing to lose by going hard in the paint on the police training facility, by calling people terrorists, by sending in, you know, commando style SWAT teams, to kind of move through the area with impunity, um, you know, resulting in a tragic death out there uh, back in January. And so Mm. it's a very, it's a very difficult political position, but the whole thing has been difficult politically. I mean, I think that the council got politically played pretty well by the Atlanta police foundation. Cause Mm. if you go back, uh, the police foundation kind of brought, this project forward um and and, you know me personally like and this is unpopular with a lot of my kind of people who i'm allied with at least on this particular issue is that i don't really give a damn if they build a police training facility it doesn't really bother me one way or the other you know without getting any issues of if it's more militarized type training and going to be used as crest descent etc like is being but I, I particularly I hate this location right. just because. Of, and so the police foundation in 2021, very late in the game, kind of brings this. We only have one option and it's here and you don't have much time to review city council and it needs to happen. And they do this right before the election. Right. I mean, we're talking in that window right before. I mean, you know. September, October, November, 2021. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and crime, I would say might've been the biggest issue in that election. I mean, nationwide murder rates went up in in the wake of COVID. Um, And the media hysteria did not help. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it was overblown, but so crime has made a major issue. And the police foundation says, we need a police training facility and it has to be here and there are no other choices and it has to happen right now. Mm. And you've got 15 city council people, one of which is running for mayor, um, you know, is a contender in mayor Dickens, who is then a city council person right. are basically put to the test to say, Hey, you're up for reelection. Most of you are facing challenges, um, from, and some from, uh, you know, some from legitimate challengers who ultimately win, mm. Um, vote on this. And if you don't vote on this, your opponent's going to be able to beat the hell out of you by saying you're soft on crime. I mean, it was masterful politics by the Atlanta Police Foundation there, and it works. And when I'm beating up on the city online or whatever in person uh, on elected officials, I don't call them out by name or anything like that, but I know these people. And so some of them I talk to before, during, and after the vote. And most of them hated this vote. Most of them thought the process was terrible. Mm-hmm. 
but they made a political calculation that uh, you know they wanted to win their election and they thought if they were made to look like they were soft on crime they might not win yeah and that was what was going to happen if you didn't vote for it if you look at how that vote went down um the folks who were rolling off or weren't seeking re-election, um, Jennifer Ides, Carla Smith, the folks who were rolling off voted against it. Mm-hmm. They had nothing to lose. If yeah. you look, that happened. Mm-hmm. And, and additionally, some of the folks who were challenging and ultimately won were not positive on it. I mean, uh, uh, Antonio Lewis, whose position has now somewhat shifted on it, I it think, has. you know, beat up his opponent on this issue. And so it, it was a purely political decision. It was the original sin of Atlanta city council voting a lot of members voting for something they didn't support because they wanted to win reelection, which, you know, is something elected officials do. And, you know, <laughs> I advise candidates some, and I work for candidates. And if I was advising them, I might've told them to do that. If I was looking at things from like a purely ruthless political perspective, uh-huh. It was the right, right way to get reelected, but it was the original sin that's now kind of flowed into, you know, begot what it is now where we have this massive problem on our hands and nobody can really figure out what to do about it. So I, I feel like I'm talking to maybe a podiatrist asking about a heart condition, but I, I, I do want to talk to you a little bit about the legal ramifications for those who were arrested last weekend, being charged with domestic terrorism, the whole none of them are local angle. Uh, so a lot of them appeared before uh, a court this week to, to, to get bond, and a lot of them were being denied bond, but... There's, there's a lot of fuzziness, a lot of gray area as to what domestic terrorism even is when folks, a lot of them were just attending a music festival. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to have to like throw like a hundred caveats here, but the first being, I am not a criminal lawyer. Yes. I was just going to say, let me reintroduce you real quick. Lawyer. So like, I don't know a ton, but I do talk. I mean, I, I have had conversations with folks who represent some of those people. And I mean, I do have a, a, a bit of a handle on it and, you know, they're claiming flight risk for a lot of out of state people. That might be, that might be true. Okay. But I mean, also it's been reported that this out of towner narrative is being cultivated by the police in that they were rounding up people. And if you were local to Atlanta, they were they were not arresting you that they were looking to to spin spin a narrative by arresting out of town folks okay um and, and that's 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 out there I, you know and so it, that that's an interesting angle it's but also yeah, it's also I mean, really hard to prove right it, it, or I, disprove do i think ultimately many of these people are going to be convicted of domestic terrorism i no I don't think so. I think this is purely a strong arm move. I think driven more by the governor's office than anyone to, to say, Hey, you want to get involved in this? Um, you know, we're going to put you to the test and we're going to try to ruin your life with domestic terrorism charges. And you're going to spend some time rotting in the hellhole that is the cap County jail um, for a while. 
And, and so maybe they're telling people think twice before you speak up or peacefully protest. I mean, in the if, back in January, I mean, I have it pretty close directly to the source that it, like some some of the folks that were arrested and charged with domestic terrorism that night, it was just snatch and grab anyone you could and, mm. and, and throw a charge out there. Um, uh, and so. You're talking about the uh, yeah, the, the I mean, these folks are going to get another hearing. I think in about three weeks before wow. a superior court judge. But yeah, it's it's a mess, and it seems like we are th- that overcharging with a very severe crime is a tactic to suppress dissent. We're on with Eric Tusink from the uh, law firm of Williams Tusink, and he is a, a real estate attorney uh, who also you you do some work uh, as a as a what do, they, what do you call him? A, a, a mediator of sorts when it comes to, uh, yeah, I mean, I do all, I, I wear a lot of hats, you know, I, I teach at, at Georgia state university college of law. Sometimes uh-huh. I also represent and, and work with a lot of, uh, elected officials, political candidates. Um, and I'm just somebody who generally kind of keeps myself in the mix when it comes to political comings and goings, uh, here in Georgia. All right, we're up against a break. We will come right back. We're on with Eric Tusink talking about the Atlanta Police Training Facility, a.k.a. Cop City, after this. More Ron Show on America One Radio after this. This is the Ron Show on America One Radio. So we're on with Eric Tusink, who is a uh, local real estate attorney, partner at Williams Tusink Law Firm in Decatur, real estate law professor at Georgia State University, He's also a political consultant, and he has had his eye on the Atlanta Police Training Facility debate, Cop City kerfuffle, I call it a lot, uh, from the outset. Uh, Additionally, how I really got involved in talking and knowing about this situation is I'm a former board member of the South River Watershed Alliance. Thank you, and we love Uh, Jackie Eccles, by the way. Yeah, Jackie Eccles is the best. I mean, Jackie Eccles, I mean, what an amazing woman who's been on this forever before anyone was talking about any of this was finding the funds to file lawsuits to stop the swap in DeKalb County. I mean, recently, you know, got to appear on the daily show, which was amazing. I mean, just, you know, a personal kind of hero of mine and somebody who's been out there fighting for the South river watershed, which by the way, the South river flows from somewhere under the airport all the way down to Lake Jackson or Jackson Lake in Butts County. And there, I mean, there's state, parks along this greenway we've got all this undeveloped land i mean the river is heavily polluted but the potential to kind of create wild and green spaces which by the way flow through a lot of middle-class black communities which mm. you know uh, if you want to talk about underserved you know wild and open spaces green space state parks kind of in middle-class black communities is a thing that there is hardly any, any of, of in the United States. Yep. And so another reason I feel really passionate about this is just that, you know, the master plan, there was a master plan done by the Nature Conservancy, which Ryan Gravel of Beltline fame worked on. And what they were talking about was amazing. The city was fully behind it. Cab County was fully behind it until they weren't, until the police gave calling or, you know, a, uh, a movie studio head with a few pieces of silver came calling, then uh-huh. they were willing to kind of sell out the entire project, which is just the worst. Well, and there's this new sales pitch, by the way, where they, they talk about doing a lot of the same thing, but it feels like a lot of bait and switch. And it begs the question, at what point do residents in that part of Metro Atlanta say, yeah, you know, you've been making these promises to us before. We just don't believe you anymore. 
Yeah, and, the, and you, I mean, they've experienced disinvestment down there. Another issue is that, you know, there's not, at this time, there's not high density of residents kind of in that immediate area. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, not just them, but they promised all of us, right? This is an asset. This is a, an asset used by people all over the city of Atlanta, southeast Atlanta, especially. I think it's, but this, I think the the whole project is especially kind of uh, unpopular along what I call the Cab Avenue corridor that mm. runs kind of from Avondale Estates to where I live in Grand Park. Mm. Is that like, yes, you're saying, oh, we're going to build green space here. Um, you know, it's still like a whole bunch of it's still going to be accessible. You know, nobody believes you. Mm-hmm. because you've made promises before and haven't kept them yep. and you're, you know, you've been misleading through the whole process, whether it's saying that, you know, pine trees aren't real trees, <laughs> which they tried to, uh, which they tried to use there at the beginning, which by the way, cut down a, cut down a tree in your front yard in the city of Atlanta and tell the city of Atlanta arborist that that's your tree. argument for yeah. You're going to catch a fine just like anyone else. <laughs> and, you know, inc- including there, the, the kind of the horse pasture is green space. Like that's not accessible. That's not yeah, the same thing. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I just, uh, there's no kind of, there's no trust mm-hmm. in this situation and there's no specifics. Like they have plenty of specifics about the training facility and the bomb exploding car chase yeah. center, blah, 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 whatever the they're burn building center. there. Yeah. But when it comes to what they're actually going to do and how they're going to honor kind of the vision down there that was once supported, there's no specifics. So why should anyone believe that they're not going to bait and switch? And, and, you know, and, and additionally, a problem, if I'm the police training facility or the police at this point, I mean, they have to be very concerned about security. And, and yes, I, I, I can't offer support to the tactics of lighting construction equipment on fire lighting i that you that that's that's not a good idea right i'm not going to come out here and just come down and condemn because god knows there's plenty of people out there you know plenty of elected officials willing to immediately come down hard on and and condemn that Mm -hmm. but at the same time how's the police foundation going to allow for open space out there when they have a major security problem on their hands yep i i i I just don't believe them so yeah i mean i just the 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 false promises have been everywhere. And I also don't want to take a hike in a green space where there's a shooting range nearby, to be honest with you, or a burn building, Uh, you know, that's a, that's a hard sell. Yeah. To be fair, they did do some shooting out there even in, in, in the current environment. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. So yeah, I just don't, I think that they should, DeKalb County, the city of Atlanta, the state should come forward with some real promises and show us what the green space is going to look like. Show us how they are going to make the vision around the South river greenway and all the various parcels down there. Show us and promise us something that's really going to happen. Plan that. Mm-hmm. Have as many beautiful drawings. Renderings. For that yes. The and renderings and renderings you've made as you've made for the training facility. Right. Show that you give a shit about that. And then, and, and, and then, you know, I, I mean, I'm still not going to be happy about it, but <laughs> I don't know what the way forward is here. So, but yeah, I mean, I think that there's immense pressure from the state and from the political pressure to get this built. And, and so, you know, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, it just seems like I, it's going to fester for well, months or years. Yeah. Well, I know you're following it. I'll be following it. Well, a lot through you, actually, just because, like I said, your your your, your Twitter threads are 
very much on point. It's been uh, fantastic to uh, to follow, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate the time uh, to talk about this today. Love to have you back on the show when we see some new developments on this. Uh, Eric Tusink with the law firm of Williams Tusink. Again, also a Georgia State professor and a political advisor. And what else am I leaving? Oh, yeah, married with kids. Uh, historic real estate development. Yeah. I also preserve historic product, uh, properties. Yeah, so. Yeah. We'll have to talk about that too sometime, too. Yeah. I, need to, I need to spend more time with my family and less time butzing <laughs> around on Twitter. <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate the time, Eric. Thanks so much. Oh, thanks for having me. That'll put a lid on the show for the week back Monday, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, and on all the major podcast platforms. Have a great weekend.